This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Prime Spark, the podcast that brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. The second women's revolution is here, and it is time for us to fuel a spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Now, here is your host for Prime Spark, Sarah Hart. Hi, and welcome to Prime Spark. I'm Sarah Hart, and I'm so happy you're here with us. Prime Spark is designed for women over 55 or close, with a goal to help us all live our happiest, most fulfilling, and successful lives now and in the future. The mission of Prime Spark is to change the way our society sees and treats older women. That's a big mission, which only means we all need to be involved and we need to get going now. And today I have the great pleasure of talking with Heather Booth, a woman whom and whose work I greatly admire. Heather Booth is one of the country's leading strategists about progressive issue campaigns and driving issues in elections. She started organizing in the civil rights and women's movement of the 1960s. I just learned she was proposed to by her husband while they were in jail. She started Jane, an underground abortion service, in 1965, before Roe. There is a new HBO documentary about this called The Janes, and there is a new Hollywood film version of the story called Jane. She was the founding director and is now the president of the Midwest Academy, training social change leaders and organizers. She has been involved in and managed political campaigns, and was the training director of the Democratic National Committee. In 2000, she was the director of the NAACP National Voter Fund, which helped to increase African-American election turnout. She was the lead consultant directing and founding the Campaign for Comprehensive Immigration Reform in 2005. In 2008, she was the director of the healthcare campaign, for the AFL-CIO. In 2009, she directed the campaign passing President Obama's first budget. In 2010, she was the founding director of Americans for Financial Reform, fighting to regulate the financial industry. She was the national coordinator for the coalition around marriage equality and the 2013 Supreme Court decision. She was strategic advisor to the Alliance for Citizenship, the largest coalition of the immigration reform campaign. She was the field director for the 2017 campaign to stop the tax giveaways to millionaires and billionaires. She directed progressive and seniors outreach for the Biden-Harris campaign. She has been a consultant on many other issues and with many other organizations. She is a member of the consulting firm Democracy Partners. There's a film about her life and organizing, Heather Booth, Changing the World. It has been shown on PBS World Channel stations around the country. Welcome, Heather. I'm so happy you're here with us today. 
Oh, am I glad to be with you, Sarah. You are a prime spark. <laughs> you bring <laughs> energy and uh, a positive view as we women look forward to what some call the third act right. in our lives. That's right. So, Heather, getting started, do you experience getting older? And if so, what is that experience? And if not, why do you think it is that you don't? <laughs> I definitely experience getting older. Oh, in so many ways. In one way, I feel filled with gratitude for my life. Even gratitude for things like being on this program, meeting you, the number of friends, the number of uh, family, my grandchildren. Here, I uh, I know people aren't watching in, but here's a picture of my my five grandchildren. Oh, they're lovely. I keep it right by my desk. And so there's so many parts of my life I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the work I'm involved with and the meaning I take from that. So part of being older is feeling that sense of love, some accomplishment, still things undone. But also part of being older, this body has its own dilemmas. Right now I'm recovering from a bunion surgery. I'm two months into it, it will be a full year for recovery. But I'm told at the end I can uh, walk even better, go on those vacations with my grandkids that I want to. Um, so the body starts, the parts start wearing out and we have what many people call the organ recital. Okay. Oh, my kidney, my gallbladder, oh, the organs. So, and then there's an emotional aspect of growing older, both that gratitude I describe but also a kind of uh, realizing there are fewer days ahead than behind me. Um, I read an obituary in the paper and I automatically think, oh, <laughs> did they die younger than I was? Oh, did they die older than I was? How many more years is that? <laughs> and I'm aware of it. I, I actually keep by my phone I now have the list of 14 friends or family who are ill or dying or frail in ways that will need special help. And while they're not all much older, several are, and their problems are ones that come with aging. I try to call them or text them or send a note almost every day so that they know that the circle of love I feel is still there. So to your question about, do I feel, do I, do I feel that I'm aging? I'm definitely aging. I'm grateful for the fact that I'm aging because what's the alternative? Better than the alternative. And it's sort of a, a friend of mine said, you should live every day like you'll live forever. And then one day you'll just be wrong. That's and wonderful. I try to have that attitude. I love that. 
You know, it's really interesting. I have talked to so many women now over the last couple of years. And in talking to them about that question, I ask you, I'll bet 99% say something about, yeah, my body, you know, it's I got parts that are not doing what they're supposed to be doing, or I don't have that part anymore at all or whatever. But generally speaking, I, I feel better. I'm more grateful. I'm happier. I feel more me. Um, so it's somehow our society doesn't get that yet, that the way we're depicted is not how many of us experience getting older. Um, it is a, a, an uplifting experience in a lot of ways. Well, there's certainly a deepening of friendships and relationships. Partly everything becomes more precious. I was in a marriage for over 50 years, and my husband died four and a half years ago. So I feel that loss greatly, but it also means that I've structured my life somewhat differently in preparing for this third act. I'm in two book clubs, each of which have been around for over 30 years. Wow. One is a women's book club, and it is a centerpiece of my life. I I organize what I do or don't do around wanting to make those conversations. I'm in three theater uh, play-seeing groups with friends. So it means that I structure my life so that I can go see different kinds of theater with friends, and then we'll go out to eat before or after. But it's a mindfulness about structuring our lives. I also feel I do it with what I call love at the center. And I try to be particularly mindful about having love at the center, both of my relationships with others and to some extent of my relationship with myself. So much of the society tells us we're not good enough, you don't know enough, you're not smart enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not young enough. And what I realize as I age is that we are more than enough. Sometimes we may not feel it on our own, but it's why those friendships and relationships are so precious and need to be supported and cultivated. That is lovely. I have had for many years a special personal project called The Sign of Enough. And it's designed to almost answer the question, how will I know when I have enough? Because I got very concerned about the environment and our overconsumption and so forth. But at some point along the way, I realized it's actually a spiritual question of how will I know when I am enough? Because when I know I am enough, I will have enough. And so um, I, I love that. Thank you. You know, you have spent so much of your life, I think, in, in working with things that you think are important. And you're continuing to do that now. Um, and one of the things that has, was very important to you at a certain point was the Janes. And for 
for anyone who doesn't know anything at all about the Jains or not as much as they would like to, can you describe just what the Jains were, was, and um, how it got started, what you did, what the outcomes were? Because it's a wonderful, wonderful story. Yes, and as you said, there's the movie um, The Jains. That's an HBO film that's out now. And on October 28th, another film called Jane with Sigourney Weaver um, and Elizabeth Banks will be coming out also. Uh, that tell uh, The first t- is a documentary and the second one tells a culturally accurate version of the story. Um, this underground abortion service, actually the concept and the values that led to it began for me in the civil rights movement. When I was a young teenager, I was active in the civil rights movement and in 1964 went to Mississippi with the Freedom Summer Project. Uh, Some of our listeners may remember that. It gained notoriety because three of the young volunteers, Andrew Goodman, James Cheney, and Michael Schwerner were killed at the hands of the Klan. The theory was to bring Northern students to Mississippi to shine a spotlight on the courageous efforts of African-Americans in Mississippi, whose lives were being threatened and terrorized, and they simply exercised the freedom to vote. Within a year, we won a Voting Rights Act, and we won that because people organized. So the two key lessons I learned from that was one, if you organize, you can change the world, but you have to take action with others to make that difference. And the second thing I learned is sometimes you have to stand up to illegitimate authority. When I was down there at 18, I was simply holding a sign, encouraging people to register and vote, and I was arrested. I was so law-abiding, you know, I used to say I would cross at the green, not in between, I wouldn't litter. I was arrested for supporting democracy. And I realize you sometimes have to stand up to illegitimate authority. I mentioned that as background because then I returned to my campus and in 1965, a friend of mine told me his sister was pregnant, nearly suicidal, not ready to have a child, and could I help her find an abortion? Now in 1965, and many of your listeners will realize this too, We barely talked about sex with other people, except maybe in the privacy of our bedroom. And I don't recall talking about abortion with anyone, but I said I would try and do what I thought of as a good deed, you know, a golden rule. I want to treat her as I'd want to be treated, though I've never had to deal with the issue myself. So I went to the medical arm of the civil rights movement, the Medical Committee for Human Rights, and I found a remarkable doctor Dr. T.R.M. Howard. I didn't know it at the time, but he had been a courageous civil rights leader in Mississippi. And he came to Chicago when his name appeared on a Klan death list because he had argued for the investigation about the murder of Emmett Till, a young teenager whose story is now being told in a new film and some other plays that are out now. Uh, So Dr. Howard performed the abortion, was $500, and I actually thought that was a one-off that I had done that, and I really, I wasn't going to think about it again. But word spread 
and someone else called. I made that arrangement and then word spread and someone else called and I realized this is a real issue. I better set up a system. That's what an organizer does. So I found out more, what do you do in advance? What do you do after? Is there any pain? How do you support the women? What about birth control? Even that we were learning about at the time. And I negotiated on the price. It had been $500. I said, could you give two for the price of one, three for the price of one? Over time, and there's much more to the story, there were so many women coming through, I recruited other people to be part of this effort. And over time, we also called it Jane so that we could put up some flyers with confidentiality, with not too much being public, because three people talking about having an abortion in Chicago in 1965 and all the time before 1973 was a conspiracy to commit a felony. So we knew we didn't want to discuss it broadly. So we had posters that went up that said, pregnant don't want to be, call Jane, rather than any of our individual names. And over time, the women I recruited to be part of this effort, because so many people were coming through, I couldn't handle it myself, and the women who were recruited to be part of Jane themselves learned how to do those procedures and themselves performed 11,000 safe wow. and caring abortions, but it wasn't legal. And because we've organized, it did become legal on January 22nd, 1973. And that's been true since then. And now this precious freedom is under attack. The most intimate decision of our lives about when or whether or with whom we have a child. And politicians are now trying to make that decision. But if we organize, we have changed this world. And when we stand up to illegitimate authority and organize with love at the center, we will change this world for the better. Wow, that's I love 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 that story. Um, what are the similarities and differences you see between the, those times in the '60s leading up to Roe and now? Um, I mean, so three three people talking about abortion was a, a conspiracy, so it was a felony. Um, I think one person who gets caught in some states helping somebody is a felon. Um, what about the times we're, we're living in? What, what are the similarities and differences between now and then? A number of things are substantially different. For one thing, this has been made a partisan political issue. And there was a, a deal made by Paul Weirich and other political operatives sort of a MAGA right wing that made an arrangement with parts of uh, some evangelical and other churches basically saying they would provide political support and funding to support issues um, and bring them into the political arena that really weren't in the political arena before and weren't partisan. 
And as a result, an enormous amount of money and division has been created when in fact, the vast majority of the country believes that Roe still should be the law of the land. Nearly 80% believe that a politician shouldn't come between a woman in this most intimate decision in her whole lives, especially since miscarriages or terrible complications from women who want to have children that may threaten the woman's life or the child's life. And there's such horrors that can happen. And still the laws are, as the Supreme Court has said, they can be. And there are now 26 states, and there probably may be a few more, that have either banned in full or in part this intimate decision in our lives. At the same time, there are a number of states that are becoming sanctuary states, Illinois, California, New York, that are providing these services, in fact, are codifying Roe. And further, this president and the Congress have passed, uh, the president has said that if he has two more votes in the Senate and the support of the Congress, that Roe will become the law of the land. And it's that freedom and other freedoms that are under threat now. We also, if we have two more votes in the Senate for these precious freedoms, we'll also pass voting rights laws that will allow all those who want to and are eligible to vote to actually vote. We can make a lot of change, but only if we organize. So I'd say there are many changes that have happened. There also are medical abortions. It's probably the most common form of abortion now is by medicine. But maybe the biggest change is that we as a people have changed. That we're even talking about this on this podcast. We didn't really talk about it publicly in the 60s. We are now, it's a hot topic of debate. And there are women now who are physicians, who are surgeons, who are gynecologists. That also wasn't really true in the 60s. Um, and I think there is a women's and men of goodwill. We have men and women with a partnership of ensuring that this precious freedom can be protected and have the confidence to move forward and make sure that that will be possible. So Heather, you talk a lot about organizing and, um, and unquestionably, a lot has gotten done that way. What about now? I mean, we have, you talk about the Senate numbers and the, and, and the uh, House of Representatives. So we have, what, two and a half, three and a half weeks until the election. With that amount of time left, what, what could somebody do? Right now, we're in a knife's edge in this country. I feel between freedom and democracy on the one side, and there is a chance to expand our freedom and democracy on reproductive freedom, on voting rights, on preserving democracy and expanding it itself. And on the other side, there's the threat of tyranny and an autocracy 
And really, there's been a criminal conspiracy to overturn a legitimate election by people who know they lost the election. I mean, it's a situation I never thought I'd face in my lifetime. But we can make a difference. It all depends on who comes out to vote. We have a chance to make a difference. It's not just will you vote, but will you do the work? Will you make calls? Will you campaign? Will you go door to door? Will you recruit others? I often say there are four M's that we can do, whether it's about reproductive freedom or whether it's about the election, four M's. One is members. We need to contact people person to person, recruit them, get them involved. There's message. What do we say about it? And Sarah, what you're doing on this podcast, you're spreading a message that millions of people can hear. And everyone who hears it, we can spread that message. And three, there's money. We can give money. We can raise money. It costs money to make change. And four is movement. We can show up for movements for change. We can be with others, women and men of goodwill, people growing older, allying with those who are younger, and moving to make this the better world we want to see with love at the center. No, I, I live in California, and one of the things I hear a lot of my friends say when we talk about different things politically, um, our um, representatives in Congress are on our side. So what do we do? I mean, it doesn't make any sense to send letters and and, and uh, postcards to them because we know what they're going to do. Um, and I've heard, heard, so heard, heard friends say, you know, I really don't want to travel to any of the states where there's real question. I don't feel safe. Um, I don't have the funding, all sorts of uh, reasons. So for for those, yep. Go ahead. All those people, what would you say? It's a good question. Uh, first of all, California has three congressional seats that if they if those three marginal congressional seats are changed, it changes the outcome of the election. So it's very important. There also are state and local races. Um, there are people who, who would go to nearby states, but you can also make phone calls. You can be taught how to do texting. There's a group called Together We Elect. And if you go to that group, you can get personal coaching. Someone will call you, will contact you. Here is how you can make phone calls. Here is how you can text. Here is how, for those who are willing to, whether California, you go to Nevada or Arizona or other places to help out. So there's a lot to be done. Also, it's not just about the election. It's really about what you do the day after the election and what you do next year or the next election and the next time in which we need to gather people together to work for freedom, to work for democracy and build up our support with love at the center. For a lot of people, these are sort of scary times. Uh, you talk about this knife edge. Are you at this point generally more or less hopeful? You know, there's a phrase, pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will. 
I love so that. Eventually you think, oh, this could go wrong and this could go wrong and this could go wrong. But by gosh, we are driving forward. Really, what is the alternative? First of all, in my life, I've often been surprised about how there emerges a popular movement, even when things seem most hopeless and people rise up and do make the change that we want to see. And you never know exactly when it will happen. And so you need to be there at each moment. And that's what I feel is true this time. I'm sorry, go ahead. Even in the presidential election, there were three states where only five votes per precinct made the difference in who won the election. Five votes per precinct. Could your making phone calls on a couple of nights? Could your, at this point, writing letters, but even those that it's getting a little late for that, doing texting, calling your friends, and perhaps showing up in person? Will it make a difference? And then what will you do the day after the election? and the day after that. So I am for optimism of the will. I love that. I'm going to remember that. And I'm going to remember when people say, oh, you know, I'm going to use your example of five votes for precinct, because that is powerful. That is powerful to know. So Heather, of all the things you've done in your life, what dreams have you not yet realized, maybe for yourself? Oh, I constantly am filled with dreams. Many of my dreams now are for my children and grandchildren. I do hope they'll have a society in which they do feel love around them, which is a caring society. On a practical level, I hope they have health and health care they can afford that's available to them. I hope they have the freedom to make intimate decisions in their lives. I hope they feel safe in the streets and in the community. And I hope they feel the community bonds of a society that cares about all of us and all of us are included. I hope we have a world of more peace as opposed to war. I hope we have a world in which people feel they have enough to live and love and pass that on to future generations. So when you leave this earth, and all of us hope that's not anytime soon, what do you hope your legacy will be? You could have lots of different legacies. What would you like for people to, most people to remember you for? I would like it said that she organized to make this a better world. And she did with love at the center. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. And that is our time together today. Heather, if somebody wants to know more about what you do, um, what is a way they could find out more about? I'm in a consulting group called Democracy Partners, 
they could go to a website, www.democracypartners.com. And if you send that a note, I'll, I'll eventually see it. I may not be able to respond quickly, but eventually we'll see it. And that's a, a group that provides services for people who want to organize and make this a better world. For those who are interested in learning about how to organize, there's a training center that I started called Midwest Academy. And though I don't do the training now, I'm chair of the board, that's www.midwestacademy.com. And if you go there, you can learn the skills of organizing. And I hope many of you do. So listen to what Heather is saying, because the only way we're going to get anything done is by organizing. Um, so please write that down. Would you say it one more time, Heather? For the organizing, it's www.midwestacademy.com, which is a training center for organizers. It started in 1973, going strong. For those who want to be in touch or connect with a consulting group that may be able to help you in organizing, that's www.democracypartners.com. And for all of you who are currently involved, and many of you are, in our third act, thank you for what you've done so far. Thank you for what you are going to do. And Sarah, I appreciate your giving this opportunity for us to have this conversation. And I hope that all of us can celebrate great victories together. Me too, Heather. Me too. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and your work so much and your being here today. Thank you. So that's our time. Please join us again. You can find out about Prime Spark podcast on every popular outlet. And find out more about Prime Spark at www.primesparkwomen.com. Thank you for being with us. Spread tolerance and love. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thank you, Heather. Thank you for joining us on Prime Spark. With each episode, Sarah Hart brings you conversations that inspire, celebrate, and empower women over 55. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes about remarkable, experienced women, go to EWNpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available at Spotify, Apple Podcast, and most other major podcast sites. The second women's revolution is here, and we hope that you use the insights you've gained here to fuel the spark that will ignite your way forward, illuminate your path, and reflect your gifts in the world. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. 
Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.